Well, it is great to welcome you here this morning. Um, such a, a great weekend last weekend, and it's, I always feel compelled to say thank you after weekends like we, we had last weekend. It's a, another Worldview weekend that we were able to experience together, and um, people have really come to enjoy those. Um, you did a great job. The breakfast was incredible. I, I think I even saw some of you putting gravy on potatoes, so that was always good when, when that's the combination. So good job on that. I had so many compliments on the great food, and so I just really thank you for those that, that came around that, that goal. And then uh, um, we just had an incredible run here in the, as we have gotten started here in this uh, 2022 uh, so many good speakers we brought in for these Worldview Weekends. The next one's going to be August 7th, so if you want to put it on your schedule. But uh, God has really been with us, and we've talked to you about creation and evolution. Um, we've given you a case for a biblical worldview of creation. Um, we've talked to you about uh, biblical worldview and education with uh, Jeff Keaton and Renewination. And then last week, we've talked to you about a uh, biblical worldview of conception and life and how we need to think about that from a biblical perspective. Um, there's many, many things we can say about the church, but one of the purposes that God has given us uh, in being a church and meeting together like this is to walk one another home and to walk one another home through the issues that we all face. Not every church will take on some of these hard-hitting topics, but um, by God's grace, he's directing us and showing us the way through this and pu putting us in a position where we can walk you home together uh, in light of what God has to say about some of these things. So this morning, um, I would love just to wrap up our time in Daniel chapter 6. And so it's been a really rich passage. And um, so once we get through with Daniel chapter 6, we're going to cross the line into Daniel chapter 7 through 12. Chapter 7 through 12, and it's a different look and feel. Same Daniel, but it's a different approach in what he shares with us. Um, but one, one of the things I want to point out here this morning is in Daniel chapter 6, what I see in Daniel is a non-anxious presence. Have you ever heard that phrase before? A non-anxious presence. And there's a lot of people writing about that. And in fact, there's a guy by the name of Edwin Friedman who talks about a non-anxious presence. And he says that any system, whether it's a family, a team, a church, um, an employment, a place of business, a nation, any system can and will be threatened by crises and chaos. And it's bound to break down without a non-anxious presence. Um, but he maintains that if there's a a non-anxious presence in the system that, that that one individual or that one dynamic can reset a system where there's chaos and confusion and crises. Well, what does it mean to be a non-anxious presence? Um, we can offer perspectives and solutions that are helpful rather than to be panicked or lost in the chaos. Um, we can help reorient emotional and spiritual atmospheres that we're in and around. When you are a non-anxious presence, you create the emotional space that's necessary for others to take responsibility for themselves and instead of blaming others. What kind of presence are you? What kind of presence are we? And it's so important that we ask that question because we know anxiety is a, one of the key characteristics of, of our current time in history and the, cult, and the culture in which we live. Anxiety is spiked, and people are trying to figure out why, and there's lots of different approaches to that. But the point is this morning that when you look in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 28, you've got a guy who never says a word until verse 21. You got a guy that is facing uh, a group of people who have gotten together to come up with a law that's going to eventually have him incarcerated, not just incarcerated, but executed. You have them spying on Daniel. You have them trying to find dirt 
on Daniel and to dissect his life at microscopic levels to try to find something to ding him for his integrity and his loyalty so that he can be executed. You've got all of that going on. He never says a word until verse 21. Of 28 verses, we never hear from Daniel. It's everybody else doing the talking. Why is that? What was he tapped into that allowed him to have and to be a non-anxious presence in this situation? So one of the first things that you learn in pastoral ministry is that the goal is to be a non-anxious presence. Um, It means that the pastor is supposed to be calm and reassuring even when everyone else is freaking out, you know, If everybody's freaking out and I'm freaking out, hyperventilating in the corner, that's not going to help things any, right? And so it's one of the first things you learn in pastoral counseling and pastoral leadership is to be a non-anxious presence. And and the more I have lived this life, I have to tell you there are times I don't know that I am as calm as I should be about things. And that, that there is some anxiety. And I think we all face this. And and, in, and it's just a part of being human. But I think the longer I've been at this job, the more I recognize that it's not so much that I have to be the non-anxious presence. I just have to welcome it. It's beyond me. What's going on in the world? What's going on in your lives? And what you've shared with me and what you're walking through and what I'm walking through. I can't be all that you need, but he can't. And so it's not just me being the non-anxious presence. It's inviting the non-anxious presence into my anxiety, into my, my chaos, into my struggle. And, and that's what we, that's, I think that's what Daniel does in this passage. And when you look at this and you see how when, when Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, you see this beautiful moment where he, he doesn't say anything the whole time. And in fact, it's not until after the lion's den that God, he's still in the den, but it's the next day. And so he's going to be soon delivered. But he encounters somebody in the lion's den, an angel, and based on the chiastic structure of Daniel. And I'll explain what that means in a minute. Just stay with me, okay? Based on the structure, we know it's another pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. He shows up in the chaos, in the crises. And so what I would just hold out before you today is you can't be a non-anxious presence outside of a vital connection with Christ. There is no way I could do this job without that sense of, Lord, I can't be it. You have to be it and help me to help facilitate that. But you have to be the non-anxious presence in this situation. There's no way we can do this without you. And so I just want to ask you this morning, what, what is your presence what is your presence? Is it a non-anxious presence? Is it an anxious presence? You can Google this. You'll see a lot of hits on it. But you're going to see things suggested that a non-anxious presence, they truly listen to other people. Um, they can help bear bad news. They can even take criticism a lot better than other people because they're a non-anxious presence. They have a sense of who they are. Uh, they don't get defensive as much. Um, they can calmly and courageously respond instead of react. That's what a non-anxious presence looks and feels like. They keep a good sense of humor. Um, They don't allow uh, the challenges of life, the lion's dens of life to suck life out of you. And they might even, a non-anxious presence sometimes can create um, such a, a positive atmosphere that they they might even say or do something thoughtful for a critic and somehow that just resets the whole relationship because the person has become and is living a non-anxious presence in the lives of other people throughout the book of Daniel he is living a life of the not of a non-anxious presence all through every chapter you never see him rattled you never see him depressed or discouraged or isolated or angry or frustrated they're throwing they're throwing his friends in furnaces um they're changing his name um they're making him subscribe to babylonian cultural values thus forgetting his whole um history and way of life they're coming at this guy with so many things and he just 
slowly and methodically and faithfully he plods through in a very non-anxious presence, form and fashion. It's like, God, I want, I can't be Daniel, I'm called to be Joey. But I want to be a non-anxious Joey. Because I know you need it. And I know I need it. But Lord, I need you. Because I can't do this. I can't do this job without you. I need you. And you can't do life without him. And, and you can't do anxiety without him. And so when we talk about living in the lion's den, the people of God in exile, and we, and we talk about the idea of the lion's den, and we talk about the idea of some lion taming, you know, Daniel was taming lions way before he heard the roar of the den. The way he lived his life the way he was able to move and function in these different governments and with these different rulers, he was taming lions. He was taking on challenges in his life. And, and, and lion taming is a great metaphor for conquering the challenge that's in front of you. But he, he not only survives literal lions in a lion's den, but like I said, he's been lion taming for years. And when you live in a world and a culture that is antithetical to all that you believe, right? And they don't care if you have an opinion, just don't share it. Don't articulate it. We don't want to hear it. And when you live in that kind of world, like Daniel lived in, he had to learn how to function in this world. And so we have to do some lion taming in the culture as we live in the lion's den. Uh, and so... Daniel gives us these incredible insights um, into what it means to lead in the lion's den of life and culture. What it means to lion tame. You know, I got curious um, and Googled all oh, in the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing ahead in some of the messages and things. But I, I Googled um, how to tame a lion. I was curious. And there's a guy that keeps popping up in those searches. His name is Kevin Richardson, slide number 46, if you would. Slide 46. And, you know, I, I, I discovered something. Anybody here, would anybody here like to, to do this photo op with this guy? Anybody? Yeah, we, one hand in the back. Okay. Not too many takers. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I read where at one institute, they said that they, if you have a line you're training at, they'd stay on the phone with you while you went and tried their technique. Like, yeah, well, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> like, uh, sir, hello, are you still there? Oh, must not have worked. Let's try, hey, Bill, let's scratch that from the, uh, from the training teaching plan here. We need to rethink that particular principle. Yeah, there's actually people that do that. But, but lion taming, uh, Kevin Richardson, um, uh, 45, slide 45, in his book, Part of the Pride, he tells you about his life among the big cats of Africa. And when he first started interacting with lions, he was told all of the rules. Like, don't look them in the eye. Very important. Or, don't turn your back on them. Uh, don't crouch or kneel. Don't run. I think some of these are obvious, probably. Uh, don't make any sudden movements. Don't scream. Don't try to take possession of something a lion has. Just good advice, you know. I like this good country, down-to-earth advice. Uh, if you ever are around a lion, don't feed it with your hand. That's a good advice, you know. And then don't ever go near a mating lion. That's something I learned. So this guy will tell you about. So Kevin, aren't we glad we came to church this morning? Isn't that good? So, so now when you go home, you know when I run since I was early in the morning, my 5 a.m., got my headlamp on. I was like, God, I'm thankful that there are no lions in Indiana. I do. I pray that way. It's like, thank you, God. I don't have to worry about being lunch for a big predator out here. I mean, sometimes I see raccoons and they get bold, but I don't have to worry so much about them. But thank God we don't have lions in Indiana. It's wonderful. I love lions, but I just don't want them here. All right? But Kevin Richardson will tell you how to tame a lion. 
And what's really intriguing, I kind of paralleled this and put it together um, last couple of weeks, is that what Kevin uh, Richardson does with lions, Daniel was doing with people his whole time in Babylon. Um, De- uh, Kevin Richardson will tell you, if you want to tame a lion, first of all, you build a relationship with them. And so you create loyalty with them. You feed them and you play with them as cubs. He says it feels like they're mauling you sometimes. You'll go through a shirt or two, even a pair of pants because their claws are so sharp. And they don't really know that they're hurting you as much. And so they'll, he'll shred, they'll shred his shirts and his jeans. But eventually, he says, you get to where, like, he grabs them by the tongue and yanks them around with their canines and rolls around on the ground with these guys. Why? Because he's built a relationship with them. They're loyal to him because he's been with them since they've been just little. Loyalty. I talked to you about that already. Second thing, you read their body language. You want to tame a lion? You got some lions in your life? Build a relationship? Read the body language. Each lion has a different temperament. When they start doing things they don't ordinarily do in their behavior, be on your guard. This will tell you when not to interact. And he says that's probably my biggest attribute in taming lions is that I know when not to interact with them because I can read them that way. There are certain noises that they make. Their hair stands up a little differently. Their tail will flick and swish a little differently. Their lips may flare, and they'll tell you when they've had enough. And he says, when they tell you that they've had enough, believe them. Take their word for it. Body language, okay? you got to read their attitude, okay? I talked to you about that. Daniel had a great attitude. What Kevin does with lions, Daniel did with people in his life in the city of Babylon. Your attitude, you, you read body language, okay? Give them their space, right? You want to convey pure intentions. And they can sense if you're up to something no good or invading their turf. And so uh, Richardson said he gave them their space and he let them know his motives were pure Uh, Daniel would call this integrity. He said, stick with the same training rituals. Consistency, right? It's important for a a lion that's in captivity to be stimulated and engaged. And if you want to learn something from them, you have to reinforce it with repetition. And again, it's, it's consistency. A lion is at its most dangerous when they're two to three years of age. They're big enough to kill you and young enough to want to try And he's learned this, and he's learned that if he wants to have success with these guys, he's got to be consistent in what he does every day. Every day. Consistency. And then you show them respect, and we would call it humility. They can take you out with one swipe of a paw, one bite, and and he said if he gets too cocky, they, they know him on a first-name basis at the local ER in his hospital because he showed up so many times. Daniel would call that humility. You show them respect. He never talked down to anyone. And then finally, protected their interests. Like this Richardson is a spokesman against Ill, Ill, illegal hunting and unethical things that people do to lions. And I won't get into all of that, but... We could call that legacy. And see, when we look at Kevin Richardson and his life as part of the pride, we understand something because loyalty and attitude and integrity and consistency and humility and legacy, it's all really right here in in Daniel chapter 6. So Daniel was taming lions relationally. He He was... fulfilling his calling in a way that was taming lions in his life long before he ever reached the den. And we saw this, if we pull up uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 for me. Of course, loyalty, we see this early in Daniel's story. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. I'm not sure what slide number that is, but it's Daniel 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps 
I've read this a few times now in this, in this uh, last couple of weeks in this passage. To rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to him, to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. And sometimes I think we have an idea that if we're going to be effective in, a, in the lion's den culture in which we live, that we have to leave our jobs and go into ministry. And Daniel would say, don't do that. You're already in ministry. And one of your great ministries is to help your employer not to suffer loss. Just like I said. That's a ministry. That's a powerful ministry. Be loyal that way. And Daniel was. And so he made sure the king did not suffer loss. In verse 3, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, so he had a great attitude, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Verse 4, we see the attribute of integrity. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so, and they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so these administrators and satraps went as a group, and they said to the king, may King Darius live forever. Verse 7, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and, and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. In verse 10, we see um, not just, we've seen not just loyalty and attitude and integrity. Now we're going to see consistency in the part of Daniel. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day. He got down on his knees and he prayed and he gave, gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. And the only way that works is to understand that Daniel's commitment to this particular activity in his life was not spasmodic. It was a consistent thing that he did day in and day out. And basically... There's three times a day that you'll catch him at it. They, they knew this. And, and he does it all the time. And he always faces in the same direction. And his windows are always open so we can see this. And so they would find him giving thanks to God. And the only reason this whole plot works is because they knew this much about Daniel. He was consistent. You see, Daniel did consistently what we do occasionally. And that's the secret, one of the secrets to living a life of a non-anxious presence. He connected with God. He knew who he was in God. He knew his purpose. And see, they already knew what Daniel would do. That's how consistent he was. They knew what he would do. Even Daniel's enemies know what he's going to do because that's consistency. And verse 11, these men went as, as a group and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And so they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown in the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. He's consistent. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel, made every effort until sundown to save him. And the men went as a group, verse 15, to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. Not a peep from Daniel. Totally silent. A non-anxious presence. Everybody's doing their thing. Daniel's steady. You know, uh, 
archaeologists, slide 42 if you would for me. Archaeologists have uncovered uh, near eastern lions, dens, and caverns which were actually open from above. And so in some cases, um, they would actually put the prisoner or the person to be executed down through the top. They just throw them in in some cases. Other cases, uh, next slide, there were actually steps you could go down the side of this thing and there was a, uh, some bars in the middle of the lion's den. And so what they would do is, and there was a, a little hinge gate in the middle in, in, in that wall of bar right there. And so what they would do is they would put some food in one side of the den and then they would lift, go up the top then, and then they would lift up the hinge gate and let the lions through to all one side of the den, and then they could eat the meat, and then they put the gate back down, and then they put the prisoner in the next side, and then after, after you know, they've got the prisoner in, and they raise the bar back up, and then the lions could come over and finish off their supper or lunch or whatever. And that's the way this thing worked. And so... They put Daniel in the lion's den, and he had no place to go or hide, no place to run or hide. Here he is. And in verse 16, the king gave the order, so they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And notice that Daniel doesn't speak in return. He doesn't say, amen to that, king. I'm going to believe in miracles down here, and God will come through for me for sure. I'm declaring victory even now over these lines. Mm -mm. He's a non-anxious presence. He could hear the gate opening. I'm sure he probably instinctively braced for the rush of the lions and the tearing of flesh and the pain and, and Kevin Richardson the lion whisperer guy says and he showed a picture in his book those when they when they flick their claws out like that they're like little razor blades that all come out and they with one slash they can just open up prey and and conquer and capture their prey I'm sure Daniel knew the world of lions he knew this world. He, he had seen them before. He knew this existed. I bet he braced for the rush of the lions, the tearing, the pain. The gate opened. They got him. They put a little food in the other side, got him all over there. They dropped the gate. They put Daniel on the other side. Okay, and then he, once they, they're all out of there and they've cleared it, then they, they raise the gate. Of course, they seal things with their signet rings and their stones so nobody can escape out of there. And they raise that gate. And I'm sure that he was, had no idea really in that moment if it was going to be the nuzzle of a nose or the, the slash of a, of a claw or the crunching sound of a bite. Was Daniel frightened? He was frightened. He's a human. Did he cover his ears to block out the sound of the roar as the lions fought to be the first one through the iron gate? Did he drop to his knees and just collapse in a heap? Did he wonder if it would hurt and for how long? Listen, church, listen to me. I imagine there was a satanic voice that whispered to Daniel in that moment. What has loyalty gotten you, Daniel? What's a good attitude gotten for you, Daniel? What about that integrity now, Mr. Daniel? Always walking a straight line. Good attitude. Loyal to the people around you. What's consistency gotten for you, Daniel? What's humility gotten for you, Daniel? What about that legacy, Mr. Daniel, all that writing you're doing? In a book nobody's ever going to read. You think Daniel had thoughts like that? Consistency, humility, attitude, loyalty, legacy. What a waste. Goodbye, Daniel. You ever have attitudes like that or thoughts like that? Is loyalty really worth it? 
is a good attitude really worth it? Is living a life of integrity? I mean, loyalty, you know, if you think about these, all these leadership traits, church, all these things set you up for taming lions in your life. All of these set you up to live a life of a non-anxious presence. What am I talking about? Well, if you're loyal, you, you're not worried about betrayal, uh, somebody betraying you. And if you live a life of loyalty, they don't have to worry about you betraying them because you're loyal. So that, that provides a non-anxious presence. You follow me? If you have a good attitude, you're the same person every day, that has a calming effect because people will know you're reliable. It's not based on how many cups of coffee or lack of coffee or what's happened in your life that day. No, you're the same every day regardless of what's happening. So you have a good attitude. That brings a calming effect. If you're a person of integrity, totally trustworthy, you can leave your wallet on the table, you come back, the $100 bill is still in there because they're not going to take your money. Uh, consistency, they're, they're steady and reliable, that's a calming effect. They're humble, teachable, they respect others, that has a non-anxious presence effect. They're, they're all about a legacy bigger than them, blessing the next generation, not just about themselves. You see how all these things contribute to you and I being a non-anxious And Daniel models it so beautifully. He never says a word until 21, but he says volumes in just how he leads. Can I ask you again this morning, what's your presence? An anxious presence? A calm, grounded, and based presence? An out-of-control presence? A chaotic presence? Daniel does it so beautifully here. Well, we see, verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation may, might not be changed. So we see here, he was, he was loyal, and he had a good attitude, and he, had a, he was a person of integrity, and he was consistent, and, and now we see in verse 18 and following, he was humble. Look at this, verse 18, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment. Um, the, the, the Aramaic word is diversions. In other words, he wouldn't listen to music. The women couldn't come in and dance for him. They couldn't cook up a, a meal good enough for him. They, 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 nothing was used to divert the king because he didn't want music. He didn't want dancers. He didn't want food. He knew that that wasn't going to bring him any sense of non-anxiousness and so he's like the contrast to Daniel this guy can't sleep all night for all we know Daniel's in the lion's den and he's and he's getting a good night's rest with a visit with with a visit with a pre-incarnate Jesus and and you look it's a study of contrast and so here he is the king returns and 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 he doesn't want any entertainment and to be brought to him and he could not sleep could not sleep. Have you ever had a night like that? Where you toss and turn and you can't sleep? And Well, maybe God's trying to tell you something. Maybe he's inviting you into a life of a non-anxious presence. Well, at the, at the first light of dawn, hastening on here, verse 19, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den and I don't know how many there were, but lions, plural, so there's many. And based on what happens to the, those who were trying to have him executed and their families, it must have been a bunch of lions because they're eaten before they even kind of hit the floor of this thing. When he came near the den, verse 20, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, a voice of anxiety. Daniel, he says, servant of the living God. Slide 42, if you would, for me. <coughs> Slide 42. Servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, 100% loyal, 100% of the time, you never deviate, Daniel. You're so consistent. You love him, and you love him, and you serve him, and you walk with him all of the time. You do consistently what so many people do occasionally. Daniel, may, has he spared you, Daniel? 
verse 21, before we read Daniel answered, I, I want you just to imagine the shock of the king and the officials who are trailing with him. Can you imagine that the whole night and there you are, and you're, you ask that question, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continued been able to rescue you from the lions? And there's this pregnant pause, and you're waiting for an answer. You know, I think in that moment, Daniel could have just piped up and given the king a lecture. Don't you? If he wasn't humble, what do you mean is my God able? Of course he's able. And did you know that I'm his prophet? And you're messing with his prophet, dude. Don't mess with me again. Right? That could have been his approach. Or maybe, maybe he, he could have been a smart aleck about it. Oh, king, there's nothing to fear at all. I've had a great night's sleep down here with Mufasa. All right? And it's been awesome. And in fact... Maybe I should come down here more often because I've met puddles over in the corner and there's princess down by my feet and she just keeps my feet so warm. I love princess. And there's cuddles over here to my right. I really should have been coming down here a long time ago. Right? He wasn't a smart aleck about it, was he? What does he say? See, he's a humble guy. He says... May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, the same angel from Daniel chapter 3 in the fiery furnace deal. My God sent his angel, the lion of the tribe of Judah has stepped into this den and I'm imagining that Daniel and Jesus have had this conversation going on maybe all night long while their heads are propped up on kettles and puddles. I don't know. But they have this conversation. They have this fellowship. And he shut the mouths of the lions, which means their mouths were open. They couldn't bite him. They couldn't claw him with their claws because he comes out without a wound. They have not hurt me, he says. In fact, when you read Richardson's book, uh, Lions have these really coarse papillae on their, on their tongue. And um, it's like 50-grade sandpaper. So it's not fun to be licked by a lion. Now, if you have a cat and a cat licks you, it kind of tickles and it feels good, right? But it doesn't feel that way when a lion does this, all right? It's like 50-grade, 50 50-weight, 50 uh, pound-weight uh, sandpaper uh, against your skin. And, and they need it to be that way. Um, because when they're trying to separate um, flesh, meat from bone in the, in the wild, they have to have that ability. These guys, he shut their mouths, Daniel says. They couldn't lick me to death. They couldn't bite me to death. They couldn't claw me to death. This, this angel has showed up, and these lions have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. It's the first time that a non-anxious Daniel chooses to speak in this whole railroaded deal. And he speaks these words of assurance, these words of humility, and these words of confession to the king. Men and women, that's humility. It's as if he's saying through all the silence, through the non-anxiousness of this, you know what, God, I don't understand what you're doing here in the lion's den. I don't know. you got reasons beyond what I know, but maybe you know something in my life that isn't right, and maybe this is a part of that, and maybe you're just holding me accountable for something in my life, and maybe that's the case, and I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I don't know what you're up to. And it's only after God delivers him that he could say, I haven't done anything. Loyal, good attitude. A person of integrity, I endeavor to be consistent and humble, to leave a legacy. And he comes out of that lion's den. He understands that God had a perfect chance to hold him accountable. And when he comes out of there, he doesn't come out of there bragging. He doesn't come out of there with a chip on his shoulder. He doesn't come out of there with plans for revenge. He comes out of there with an understanding of what God has called him to be in this situation at this time. 
Or maybe God's calling you <coughs> to be a non-anxious presence. Well, the king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. No wound, no bite, no claw, no lick. And at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown in the lion's den along with the wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. I've already dealt with that verse. But Daniel lived his life in humility. And when you live your life in humility and you offer that as a part of a non-anxious presence, you tend to not have snapped judgments as much as you used to. Maybe you're not as pushy as you used to be. Or maybe you're more free to admit mistakes if you're more humble or share the credit with others or, or give up your attitudes of entitlement when you walk through things like this. And that all leads to a non-anxious presence. Well, the legacy, I think, is clear. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is a living God and he endures forever and his kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves and he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. He gets the glory. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. That is, namely, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Both names point to one person. You know what's really intriguing to me is that all of this happens in the latter stages of Daniel's life. He's lived a long time, several decades in Babylon. And he's reached this second phase of life. And, and when it comes to the second phase of life, the legacy that he's going to leave in Babylon is incredible. Because many, many years later, there's a little baby born in Bethlehem. And there's three guys from this area of the world that come looking. And they're looking for this little baby, this little baby child king that showed up. And he's got a star, and we've been tracking it. Many years later, they find that baby boy that showed up in Daniel 3 in the furnace. He shows up in the lion's den in Daniel 6. And now they know this baby child Jewish king is coming into the world to do something special for the world. And they're looking for him. And why? Because there was a guy named Daniel who refused to bow. There was a guy named Daniel who refused to let his identity be changed, even though they changed his name. There was a guy named Daniel that was loyal to people around him for the glory and honor of God, that had a good attitude, that, that was a man that was trustworthy, that was consistent to follow, that was humble and teachable and respected others, and that gave his life to honor the one who had given life to him. What about you this morning? Would you like to be a non-anxious presence in the world, leave a legacy where it all points to Jesus? You can. And, and Daniel invites all of us into this. You know, um, as I think about this, a non-anxious presence, how is it developed? Honor Jesus and be loyal to his worldview. Bring a can-do spirit to every job. Be trustworthy in your integrity. Don't cheat the daily grind. Be consistent. Do the right things and do them consistently. Respect and learn from others. And your life message can be bigger than the mess. Your message can be bigger than the mess. Slide 46. Kevin Richardson had a lion named Zavo. And he hadn't known this lion for very long. And he said he was still somewhat new to this lion whispering stuff. And Savo had been declawed, but it was like to him, he, he said he felt bad for Savo because when you're declawed as a lion, it's like you're missing your fingers if you're a human with a hand. I mean, it's just like they, they can't eat right, they can't walk as good, and they can't hunt and, and sim at least simulate that even though they're in a captivity. He said his paws were somewhat damaged. 
from that, and so he always felt kind of bad for some of us. He was three years of age with a full mane, 400-pound lion. He hit puberty. Hormones were raging. He thought he knew everything. This young lion thought he knew everything, right, full of hormones. Okay, anybody here raising a teenager? Okay, well, that's where he was. He was a, a teenage lion in teenage years, right? Savo didn't want to listen, and he wanted to challenge everybody. Well, Kevin's family had come for a visit, and his nephew wanted to watch Uncle Kevin play with those lions on his eighth birthday party. So Kevin went into the enclosure unarmed, as he typically did, but he went into the enclosure, and when Kevin called for Savo, Savo usually came running, just, just like that. Kevin, I know him, I'm going to run, we're going to play, we're going to have a good time, right? Just as what he did every day, consistently, all the time. Zavo, Zavo, and here he would come. And so, but this time when he went into the enclosure, Zavo stayed at the far end of the enclosed yard, and he never approached. Kevin bypassed what he knew about attitude and space. He violated that law of consistency. And what, he had, what they had taught him about that. He knew he hadn't had sufficient time to build loyalty with Zavo. To take these kinds of risks. But, but everybody was watching, right? It's an eighth birthday party for his nephew. And instead of leading in that situation, Kevin said he started pleasing. And it cost him. Instead of leading, going with what he knew about taming lions in his life. Going with the instinct of, okay, we understand the principle of loyalty here. And he's giving me body language and attitude. And he's showing me something. He's trying to say something to me. Okay. All these things, consistency, all these principles of taming lions in your life. And being a non-anxious presence just kind of went out the window. Because he wanted to make everybody happy at the eighth birthday party of his nephew. Kevin said, I went through both gates. And Savo was at the far end of the enclosure just staring at him. Why are you coming in my yard? Right? He said, I walked the fence line. And halfway in, far enough from the gate that I wouldn't have time to get out if Savo decided to do something he shouldn't do. And he said, as soon as he hit that point, Savo knew it. And his ears went back. And the skin on his face went taut as he snarled. And he, and he stood up, and it's almost like he was standing on his tiptoes, and he got his body as big as he could make it. Even bigger than he already was. At that moment, he charges. And Kevin knew he couldn't outrun him. He was way past that. And so he just waited for him to arrive, and he got there. And, of course, his family back behind the two fences and standing in the truck thought, wow, you know, Uncle Kevin is great. This is all part of the show, right? This lion's going to charge in, and it's going to be great. And they were all excited about it. And he said, uh, Kevin said, when Zavo stands up on his rear hind legs, he's about seven feet tall. And he came up to me like that, and he just did one of those. And he said, this guy just disappeared. He said he took his right paw, and he exploded it in the side of his head and his face. And he said, my nose just exploded. Blood went everywhere. He just took his paw and just smacked me right across the face. He said, I really don't remember what happened after that. He kind of dragged me, and he rolled me somehow to the middle of the enclosure, and he straddled him, and he couldn't move. He said if his claws had not been, if he had not been declawed, he would have filleted him. Kevin's sister, Corrine, was standing in the truck, and she, and she said, you know, I think Kevin might be in a tidge of trouble. <laughs> What are sisters for, right? Nah, he knows what he's doing. Everybody in the family, ah, he knows what he's doing. He's Uncle Kevin. He's a line whisperer, right? He's got this stuff figured out. Well, Savo bites him on the leg. He bites him on the calf. He bites him on the shoulder. And he said, all I could do is try to pinch some of his, his skin around his mouth up underneath when he was in the process of doing this. If I could somehow pin his skin up under between his teeth so that when he bit down on me, he would bite himself while he was biting me. That's the only thing he said I could think to do. But I was, he had me. 
Here's Savo messing up everybody's birthday party. Savo hooked his belt with one of those canines, lifting him up off the ground, and he's suspended like this. And the lion's teeth serrated. And so as he was suspended like this, the serration of the teeth began to cut the leather of the belt. Back down to the ground he went in a puff of cloud of smoke or dust. Of course, a nearby worker heard the commotion. He charged into the enclosure. He got Savo distracted. Kevin, fortunately, had conscious enough to get up and get out of the enclosure as quickly as he could. Kevin's family told him later, when all that was going down, they said they couldn't believe how cool and collected he managed to stay while he was under attack. How in the world, in that situation, he maintained a non-anxious presence? Just unreal. How come? Well, in that situation, he knew what he violated. He knew where he messed up. And he also knew he had to fall back on his training, improvise, and do what he can. Because he's in the lion's den. There's no escaping. If something doesn't happen. Well, fortunately, he had people there to help him. That's what he says. So in my life, I've always known the difference between right and wrong, he says. Sometimes I've chosen the wrong. Anybody here like that? You've chosen the wrong. Savo's over the top of you. He's rolled you to the middle. Your options are minimal. Maybe you violated loyalty to somebody. They trusted you. Maybe it was your bad attitude. They got you in your mess. I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> Maybe it was your integrity. You took a shortcut. And it cost you. Or maybe you've, you played fast and loose, doing only occasionally what you should have been doing consistently every day. And maybe you got cocky, and nobody's going to teach you anything. Because, buddy, you know what you're doing. I'll go in the cage if I want to go in the cage. If I want to celebrate and create a birthday party, I'll create it. I don't care what Savos in life are telling me. And maybe you decide to make life all about you. To the winds is legacy. Who cares about what people think when I'm gone? I'm going to live for me. See what I'm saying this morning? When we come to Jesus and we surrender to him and we start leading and loving like Daniel, that's a non-anxious presence. That brings a calming effect. People feel much more at peace, even though it's chaotic. They feel much more at peace because this is what you bring to the table. It is a ministry in the lion's den. And you're going to face them. He says, if it's the will of God, I hope to continue doing what I do for a very long time. And I find that having spiritual beliefs helps me with my decision making. You know, I think I'd have more than spiritual beliefs if I did what he did. I'd be like, Every day, God, we're having a talk. I'm keeping the accounts all free and clear on this because I may not walk in and have supper tonight. He says, sometimes I go to bed and I wonder why I'm getting too cocky. He says, am I thinking that I can conquer the world? 
It's times like this that I take a deep breath and I try and appreciate what I already have, what God's let me achieve, and just to be thankful in that moment. Kevin said, I should have obeyed my sixth sense that day with Savo. On the night after Savo attacked him, he was bruised and battered. He's sitting in his bathtub, sipping on a drink, and remembers thinking, you know, I must have a guardian angel. You know, that's what Daniel had exactly. He had a presence of one that stepped into his lion's den and showed up, and it changed Daniel. He already was a changed man, but it put him at legacy status. He knew his mission, his vision, and we have his book, and I'm doing a sermon series on it because of the faithfulness of God and the legacy of Daniel. There was a boy that started out by saying, I'm not going to eat your Babylonian cuisine, and that's where it started. And now it comes down to a 12-chapter book, millennia later, and I'm talking to you about a man named Daniel. Do you have a salvo in your life this morning? Um, may you live, maybe you live in a salvo-type world, and Daniel gives you these incredible insights on how to navigate that world. How to be a non-anxious presence in a post-truth age. And when they put Daniel in the lion's den, they had no idea they had a lion tamer on their hands. And I'm not saying he tamed the lion. That was a miracle of God in that situation. But Daniel had been taming lions his whole life. The odds were stacked in his favor. And God showed up. Those lions can smell fear and adrenaline in the veins. But they wanted no part of this 90-year-old servant of God who had come to believe in the line of the tribe of Judah. They wouldn't take their first bite. What about you this morning? You ready to tame some lions? You have a Zavo in your life? Oh, I know you do. This morning... Why don't you come to him? Let him morph and transform you into a non-anxious presence. I would be a mess. I'd be sucking my thumb every day if it wasn't for Jesus. There's no way. All curled up in my corner, in my closet, refusing to come out if it wasn't for Jesus. But in him, who calls me by my name, Danielle, Joey, let's go. You have, a, you have a job to do, a life to live. Don't get cocky. Be a non-anxious presence. See what I might do with that. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your love and grace. We asked this morning you would raise up some lion tamers. We got a bunch in our lives. There's some challenges that we face, and we don't know the solutions to these challenges. But we know if we're consistent in walking with you, if we're loyal, if we're faithful that way to your cause, if we're humble and respectful, if we bring a good attitude, we position ourselves, all these things, we position ourselves to do so much good in the world. Maybe it needs just to start in marriages and families move to teens and churches wherever this needs to go whoever this is meant for this morning whatever the lion's den may be and the precise nature of it Father would you raise them out of that den set their feet on solid ground and put them in places and positions where they can amplify your great grace and your great love in a world that so desperately needs clarity, filled with anxiety. Fill them with a non-anxious presence. True to our feelings, yes. True to our humanity, for sure. Not just stoic. No, no. We're not asking us to live that way. 
but you're asking us to be fully alive to you and what you're calling on our life to do. So now we rise up and we take that next step, whatever that may be here for us this morning. In your name, amen. You have been such a great congregation with me. Would you stand with me this morning? Uh, Next week, read ahead if you would. Daniel chapter 7, it's a toughie, okay? I need you all read ahead so you know what's coming, okay? Daniel 7, have a great week. Watch out for those lions.